Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. about the wrath of God today. Um, I understand some of you, that's old hat, you may have grown up in a church in which all you heard about was the wrath of God. Um, there's a kind of preaching that is uh, sort of focused on the wrath of God. Uh, your preparation consists of what did the people do this week and how is God again it? And uh, what's he going to do to them because of it? And it's, it's not a hard sermon to preach. He just lists something, create a lot of guilt feelings, Remind people that, yes, they're going to hell and going to fry like a sausage. <laughs> and maybe you grew up with that, and maybe that's an experience you're trying to get away from. I mean, it's entirely possible that you grew up hearing about the wrath of God, the wrath of God, the wrath of God, and so you thought that all God was interested is finding out what you had done wrong, like he didn't know already, and zapping you for it making sure that you suffer. And then you heard about grace, and you found out that God knew you were a sinner all along. In fact, he loved you so much that while you were a sinner, he sent Christ to die for you. You found out about grace, that it's not earned, that you don't have to get enough merit points or win enough awards or be, be a certain level of righteousness. That there, you, you didn't buy the, the salvation from God, but rather grace means that God freely gives to us life everlasting in Christ Jesus. You found out that it wasn't a matter of works you could not do, so God was a God of wrath to condemn you, but you found out that it was a matter of God who loved you, and so it was grace that would save you. And you've been rejoicing in grace ever since. And you've been living in that grace ever since, and you just adore the doctrine of grace. Well, this morning I want to talk about the wrath of God, and my goal is that at the end of this sermon you will thank and praise God for his wrath. That you will give God glory because of his wrath against sin and rebellion against him. Um, and what I want to tell you, though, is that the wrath of God cannot be considered in isolation any more than the grace of God can be considered in isolation. If you take the grace of God, and let, let's talk about the grace of God. It's all love. It's all mercy. It's what God does. He, he gives you this life everlasting, the abundant life. It's, it's given to you. It's all grace. If that's all you ever talk about, and you never get down to the fact that we are broken people, sinful people, that we are a dead people who need to be brought to life. If you never get to the question of sin and the dysfunctionality of the human soul, then you will never bring about that, that reclamati uh, reclamation, that redeeming work of the Holy Spirit. It will just be happy talk grace. And if all you ever talk about is the wrath of God and all you talk about is the fact that he hates sin and he does and that he punishes sin and he does and that sin is so serious that he punishes sin in an everlasting way and he does, if all you talk about is the wrath of God and you never talk about the redeeming grace of God, then all you're doing is, is heaping guilt trips on people and making sure they are trying to do something they could never do and that is be good enough to get into heaven and that'll never happen. 
But this morning as we talk about the, the, the wrath of God, understand that the grace of God is not far from us. And that the wrath of God is real. And the grace of God is real. And if you are going through a time in your life and you feel like, wow, that wrath thing, I get it. I, I'm feeling it. I'm experiencing the wrath thing. I just remind you, you can also experience the grace thing. And it's just as close as a prayer of faith, God, your way. You, you do it. In Christ Jesus, take control of my life. So I just want to remind you of that before we go much further. But I do want for us to talk about the wrath of God. Now, it's, it's, um, it's, it's the kind of thing that, that uh, we're supposed to be embarrassed about today. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, uh, there's a lot of popular preaching that goes on. Um, and uh, sermons today are supposed to be helpful. They're supposed to be practical. Sermons are supposed to be uplifting and motivating. Sermons are supposed to help you along in life so that you can have a better week because you went to church and heard a nice, motivating sermon that showed you how to live life a better way. I mean, that, that, is, that is the kind of preaching that is, that is eminently uh, popular in America today. And in fact, the preacher who would preach the wrath of God is sort of looked at as a as sort of an antiquarian, an old-fashioned sort of guy. And, and, and so, um, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of an inclination not to think about the wrath of God so much, but it is the wrath of God that we need to know in order to appreciate the magnitude of the grace of God. You see, Jesus talked about the wrath of God. Some of us don't think that. You know, some of us are like Marcion. Marcion was one of the first church heretics uh, back in my early childhood. But, uh, but Marcion, you know, back 1,000, 2,000 years ago, so. That Marcion was a guy, and what he said was, in the Old Testament, you have a God of wrath. In the Old Testament, it's a God who does nothing but condemn people. You grumble, the earth opens, you get swallowed up. You grumble again, lightning strikes, grumble again, plagues hit. We're going to wipe you out. God is a God of wrath in the Old Testament. And then Marcion said, but God is a God of love in the New Testament. You have this God of wrath in the Old Testament, but Jesus is the God of love. You know, he said it just that way, too. You know, he's a God of love. And so, um, uh, uh, you know, when we get to the New Testament, we know better than the wrath of God. Jesus is all about love. Now, you've heard people say that. You may have even heard people say things like, well, I, I can't relate to God the Father because he's a God of wrath. He's a, he's a God who punishes sin. He's an angry God, but I can relate to God who is Jesus because Jesus is love, and, and so I, I really want to snuggle up to Jesus, but I, I'm not sure about this God the Father thing, you know, as if there's, there's sort of a, a bipolar personality in the Trinity or something. And you may have thought the same thing yourself. But I remind you that Jesus talked about the wrath of God, not, not in that term so much, but he talked about God's judgment falling upon folks. Um, by the way, you know that Jesus exhibited wrath in his lifetime. Jesus got angry. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking about, yes, I know Jesus got angry because he, uh, he went into the temple and he saw the money changers there and he threw the tables over and he drove the money changers out. And so Jesus got angry. And normally the next thing you say is, so I can be angry too. You know, that's normally what you say. Jesus was not angry when he threw the money changers out of the temple. Nothing in Scripture says he was angry. It was a prophetic act. He was preaching a sermon in action. 
And in fact, the, he, he, he throws the money changers out of the temple at the beginning of John's gospel, and he throws the money changers out of the temple at the end of the other three gospels. In other words, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if every year he didn't go to the temple and throw those money changers out. He wasn't angry. He wasn't having a temper tantrum. But there's one time in Scripture that it says Jesus was angry. Read about it in, in Mark uh, chapter 3, if you want the first five verses. Uh, uh, rather than read it, I'll just, I'll just rehearse the, uh, the story for you. Jesus was in the synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand. A withered hand, and the Pharisees, the, the Pharisees were like religious leaders. They, they were like the pastors of their day, I guess. But anyway, they, the, the, the Pharisees, they're looking and they're watching and say, is Jesus going to heal this man? Because today is the Sabbath. Today is the Lord's day, and you're not supposed to do any work on the Lord's day. And, and uh, if this guy will be, have a withered hand tomorrow, he can heal him tomorrow. What's he going to do? And so Jesus called the man up. He said, come here, fellow. And he looked at the Pharisees and said, now look, you tell me, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Which should we do? Should we take life on the Sabbath or should we give life on the Sabbath? What should we do? And the Pharisees just stared at him. They just stared at him. And it's at that point in Mark chapter 3 that the Bible says, and Jesus looked around about them with anger. The Greek word there is orge. It is the same word Paul uses here in Romans chapter 1. Jesus looked around in wrath at these guys. To finish the story, he heals the man's hand. Okay. But here's the point. What ticked Jesus off were religious people who would rather be religious than graceful who would rather hang on to their laws and their legalism than reach out and to help people in the name of a loving, gracious Father. What bothered Jesus was religious folks and religious leaders. That's hard for me to take, but that's, that's the way it is. I mean, it goes throughout the, the, the gospel narratives of, of the biography of Jesus. And I mean, he was constantly telling the, the Pharisees things like, you know, you're hypocrites, don't you? You know that you are hypocrites, and when the Son of Man comes, when the final judgment comes, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for you. This is gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's saying to the Pharisees, he says, look, you remember the fire, the brimstone that consumed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin? And oh, we know that was really rank sin, adult-only sin. <laughs> when the Son of Man comes... It's going to be worse for you. It's going to be worse for you. When he looked at the society around them, here's how he described it. This is an evil and adulterous generation. This is an evil and adulterous generation. When he talked about rich people, you know, he, he would say things like, you know, there was a guy who got really, really rich and he built extra barns to store all his wealth and he sat back on the veranda to, to sip on his mint julep. That was the sin. And, uh, and, and he said, soul, you know, eat, drink, be merry. And then uh, God came to him and said, thou fool, you're going to die. This is gentle Jesus, meek and mild, okay? He said, thou fool, you're going to die. 
He told another story about a rich man who, who had big, lavish meals all the time, and there was a poor man who would come and just get the scraps and, uh, off the rich man's table. You remember this? And, and then both of them died, and the rich man winds up in hell. The poor man winds up in heaven. Now, if you're a rich person, this kind of bothers you. Because this is Jesus who says, you know, if you're rich, you can't get into heaven unless you can cram a, a camel through the eye of the needle, and it makes a camel awfully cranky when you do that. So, he said, you know, you just can't, can't get into heaven if you're hanging on to your riches. There was a condemnation, a wrath visited upon wealth. You see, the things that ticked Jesus off were the religious people, the leaders, the rich people, and the powerful people. Now, I'm going to confess to you, that bothered me for a long, long time. That bothered me for a long time because I figured, you know, there's other stuff going on. I know there's got to be. In that, in that society, there had to be some thieves. People had to be stealing something. One of them wound up next to Jesus, uh, you know, when Jesus was crucified. So, there had to be thieves. He never denounces thieves, does he? There had to be some prostitutes somewhere. Come on, you know, given human nature, a society that big, there had to be some prostitutes. He never condemns them. All he condemns are rich people and religious leaders and powerful people. Why didn't he condemn these others? And the conclusion I came to as I looked at that was that, well, you know, the rich person is trusting his wealth the powerful person is trusting his power, and the religious person is trusting in his religion. All of these, the rich, the powerful, and the religious, think they have escaped the wrath of God because of something they've got. And they needed a wake-up call. You're not there. You haven't escaped. There's a wrath to come, and it's coming on you. And I think that's why he spoke out so forcefully against those that society thought, oh, they don't need to worry about the wrath. Jesus said, yes, you do. The rest of the folks kind of had it figured out that they needed something more. So, Jesus talked about the wrath of God, and he condemned those who were uh, in violation of God's plan, who were sinners. And, and, and he said, you know, that the wrath of God is real, and there's a judgment coming, and that is real. So, it shouldn't surprise us then when Paul is getting ready to, to draw out the meaning of the gospel in the book of Romans that he says, well, this gospel is all about the power of God unto salvation. It's about the righteousness of God. This gospel puts the righteousness of God on display. The righteousness of God is revealed. Now, here's how we're going to develop that. Let's start at the beginning. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The first thing I want you to notice about that is that it's the wrath of God. I mean, I went to school to learn that. I studied languages. It's the wrath of God. It's not the wrath of the preacher. <laughs> it's not the wrath of society. It's not the wrath of, of you know, some celebrity. It, it's the wrath of God who created you. It's the wrath of God who set this universe in place and holds it together. It's the wrath of God who has the right to ordain what happens and should not happen. It is the wrath of this God. In other words, it's a very personal wrath. It's a personal wrath. It's not an a, a impersonal 
uh, dynamic or consequence of sin. Some people have tried to get God off the hook like he needs it, but, uh, you know, they, they, they've said things, well, you know, God can't be a God of wrath. God is a God of love, and so when the Bible talks about God's wrath, it's actually talking about, oh, the consequence of sin. If you do things wrong, it leads to bad things, and that's kind of what the wrath is, but God's not really involved in that. It's just, the, you know, just the mechanisms of the universe. Let me tell you something. The wrath of God is a personal wrath against sin. It is his wrath against sin. It's not a principle. See, principles don't have wrath. If you're up on a ladder, you fall off the ladder, gravity takes over. Gravity pulls you down. The consequence of falling off the ladder is that you hit the ground. But we don't talk about the wrath of gravity. Oh, well, maybe you do, but you've got another problem. You know, we don't, you know, impersonal dynamics and consequences don't have wrath. But God has wrath. It's a very personal wrath. If you don't think God's wrath is personal, think about this. In order to satisfy the wrath of God, a person had to die. The person, Jesus Christ, had to die in our place to take the wrath of God off of us and to take it upon himself. The wrath that our sin deserves, the wrath that we have gained for ourselves as individual people, that wrath was put on a different person. It was put on Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, that wrath was put on a person. See, God's wrath is personal. And that wrath is revealed from heaven. See, it reveals who God is because the wrath of God proceeds out of his being. God is holy. And therefore, wickedness and sin and pollution and filth makes God angry. God is righteous. And therefore, you know, wickedness and evil makes God angry. God is loving, therefore hatred makes God angry. God is embracing of his creation. He's, he's created the, the, the universe for his glory, and therefore anything that destroys that universe makes God angry. See, the wrath of God reveals who God is in his glory and in his perfection. So the wrath of God uh, is revealed to us from heaven. Now, that word revealed... Yeah, Wrath of God is revealed. What that means is there's something called the wrath of God, and you need to know about it. You need to know about the wrath of God. If no one ever tells you that sin makes God angry, they're not doing you any favors. You know, if you come before, uh, you know, uh, or get together with your friends, you say, you know, here's what's going on in my life, and you lay out the rebellion, and you lay out the sin, and you lay out the wickedness of your heart, and they pat you on the head and say, oh, now, now, don't worry about it. We're all human. Don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. They are not doing you any favors. You need to know about the wrath of God because the wrath of God is real. Our sin leads somewhere. And when the wrath of God rests upon us, we are in line for condemnation eternally. So that wrath of God needs to be revealed. You need to know about it, and God makes it plain. We'll read about that as we move on in the book of Romans. But for today, just look at this. Back to verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. The wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness. 
Now, we look at that word ungodliness, and we see the little word God inside of it, and we think, oh, well, that, that's just sort of a, based on the word God. The Greek word actually is, is not based on the word God. It's, it's uh, 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 Asabeah. Um, Asabiah. No, Asabeah. Does anybody know? I could snow you right now. Okay, but you'd look it up later. Asabeah. But it's a word that means um, to treat with contempt or indifference. Um, it, it's, um, it's, it's sort of a general word. I was trying to think of, a, of an illustration for it, and uh, I thought of the Marine Corps as, as, as guys join up for the Marine Corps, and then I, I, I realized that um, that was pretty severe. No, 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 that, that's pretty good. When, when a young person joins the Marines, you know, they, they go to the, the basic training camp or whatever, get their own personal drill sergeant, right? Am I, am I making this up or is this right? Somebody say yes or no. I'm pretty close so far. One of the first things they tell you to do is what? Stand up straight and look me in the eye and speak where I can hear you. And I want to hear two words, your choice, yes, sir, or no, sir. Marines, aye, aye, sir. Okay, I don't want to get kicked out of the Marines before I join. Why, why do they do that? Why do they, why do they take our young people and the first thing they do is stand up straight, look me in the eye and talk? Because we live in a world where teenagers, you know, and people in general, you know, just have this attitude of, wow, you bore me. You know, I don't need to talk to you. There's a spot on the ceiling more interesting than you are. Yeah, some of you are parents and you've seen this, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, it's just, and, and the dying swan routine. <sighs> that, that's Asabeah. That is treating with contempt someone who should be treated with honor. That is treating with irreverence someone who should be reverenced. And so what ticks God off are those who look at him and say, God, who are you to talk to me? i got better things to do than to listen to you harangue. You know, who are you, God, to claim my life? After all, you're only an eternal God. I'm 18 years old. I know what I'm doing. By the way, is that one of the silliest things you ever hear? Although, no, there's something sillier than, I'm 18, I know what I'm doing. You know what's, you know what, you know what's sillier? I'll give it to you. I'm 14, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what's equally silly. I'm 64, and I know what I'm doing. I mean, that's, <laughs> there's nothing to that. But this ungodliness is treating God with contempt or indifference when he deserves our complete devotion and praise and adoration. And the wrath of God is revealed against those who treat God with an indifferent and, and a sullen attitude. That's what, that's what the Scripture is, is getting at. So, the, the wrath of God is re revealed. It, it, it comes upon this. And, and it's not just that God's ticked off because, hey, you, you need to pay attention to me. Here's, here's what's going on. You remember that a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, we said, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The purpose of life is to give glory to God and to honor and to praise him. That is the reason you exist. That's why you were created. That's why uh, God let you wake up this morning. This day belongs to him. And in this day, your task is to honor and to glorify God. 
And when we take that day and we say, God, I can't be bothered with you, when we take our life and say, God, I can't be bothered with you, that is ungodliness, and therefore it is destructive to who we are. It destroys our lives. And God hates anything that destroys his creation, anything that destroys what he has created for his glory. You break it, you destroy it, that generates the wrath of God. Now, the other thing that Paul says is, is that that wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and also against unrighteousness. Now, Randy unfolded for us last week the, the beauty of how the righteousness of God is what brings us by his grace through faith into a relationship with him, and it's that, that righteousness of God that's being manifested uh, when we come before him in, in, in uh, the confession of Christ and, and the work of the Holy Spirit. All of that has to do with the righteousness of God, and we looked at that last week. But he says, now, when you reject that, and you decide, I'm going to live out of sync with who God is. You know, righteousness is being in line with what God desires. Unrighteousness is saying, I'm going my own way. When you say, I'm not going to live as God decrees that I should live, that's unrighteousness, and that earns the wrath of God. Why? Because whenever we are unrighteous, when we leave God out of our calculations, when we ignore his will for us, inevitably we begin to break our relationships. We begin to wound other people. We begin to destroy that, 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 that bonding of love and grace that is to hold us together. Unrighteousness destroys the second element of the purpose and the meaning of life, and that is we stop loving one another. And in doing so, we're killing ourselves, and God hates things that kill his creation. So God's wrath is poured out upon the ungodliness and the unrighteousness that destroys his creation, that destroys the people that he has created for him, his image and his glory. And then finally it says, and these are people who suppress the truth. You just keep it down, who are living a lie. We could go into that. The, the rest of the scripture will talk about that some more. But when you're living a lie, you're destroying your life. And that makes God angry. That's why there's wrath against ungodliness and unrighteousness and the suppression of the truth. Now, why am I telling you this? You're asking yourself? I'm glad you asked. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you this so that you will not sin. I'm telling you about the wrath of God so you will not sin. But if you do sin... We have an advocate with the Father. We have a lawyer. We have someone to plead our case with the Father, and the Father supplied him. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And the Bible says that he is the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation, you use that word lately? Not since you studied for SATs. Propitiation is a word that means we deserve the wrath of God, but Jesus took that wrath that we deserve and took it upon himself in our place. And because he died for us in our place, he satisfies the wrath of God against all unrighteousness by taking our sin upon himself, and he suffers the wrath that we deserve. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who takes the wrath of God from us. When he died on the cross, all the wrath that we deserved was put on him. That's why grace is so wonderful. 
because we deserve nothing but wrath. And God, by grace, gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for sins, for the sin of the world. And so the reason I'm telling you this is so that you would thank and praise God for his wrath. Because his wrath magnifies his grace. His wrath against sin magnifies his holiness. His wrath against the brokenness and the darkness and the death that we bring into our lives, his wrath against these things reveals that he is a God of tremendous, infinite goodness and kindness and mercy. There's another reason that you should thank God for his wrath. God's wrath means that he loves you. You didn't think that, did you? But if God didn't love you, he'd leave you alone. If God didn't love you, he'd just let you drift off into the ether sphere. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't care what happened to you. But God loves you so passionately that when there are things breaking your life, destroying your life, when sin is, is just distorting and perverting your life, that ticks God off. When you are being wounded and destroyed, even by your own choices, by your own sin, that makes God angry. And the wrath of God means he loves you too much to let go of you. And the joy of it is that in God's wrath, he provided for us a substitute in Jesus Christ. So whenever you hear about the wrath of God or you think you're sensing the wrath of God in your life, understand that's a sign that God has not left you alone yet. And that God is still wooing you back and still seeking to convince you of your need and convict you of your sin. For the wrath of God is a sign of his grace. And so this morning I ask that at the end of it you would thank and praise God for his wrath because his wrath is the other side of his grace. And his wrath magnifies the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So that's why the gospel is a great thing. Paul said, I'm proud of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. But before we get to that, you've got to understand the wrath of God is revealed as well to lead us to his grace and his righteousness. So this week, at some point, stop and thank God for his wrath and for his grace. Let's bow in prayer together. Father in heaven, you overwhelm us again and again and again with the perfection of your plan of salvation and with the beauty of your mercy extended toward us. Over and over again, we are astounded that you love us the way you do. And so, Father, this morning I would pray that we would lift our eyes up and our our hearts and, and move beyond the moment and the pain of the, of, 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 the, of the current situation. And, Father, that we would see things as you see them. And especially, Father, that though we deserve wrath, we would see your grace in Christ Jesus. Reach out by the power of the Holy Spirit and embrace what you have done for us on the cross. Father, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.